Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Hope you are enjoying your Sunday afternoon in the great state of Mississippi, or you may be in Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, or Louisiana, where MPB also reaches. So welcome to all of our neighbors and friends alike to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm here with Kevin Farrell, our producer. Today has on green shoes, which is very fitting, uh, as it is uh, August, and it's very green outside and, and warm. But my guest today is my friend uh, and the executive director of the Mississippi Book Festival, one and only Holly Lang. Welcome, Holly. Hello, Malcolm. Hey, Kevin. So uh, we're a few days past the fourth annual Mississippi Book Festival, and we're going to talk about that uh, in a little while. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk about you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so for our listeners, uh, some uh, who will be familiar with you and your work and others who will not, uh, I wondered if you could share with us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. Uh, I think maybe Texas is the answer. Well, Austin. Grew Austin, up in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I lived mm-hmm. there for um, 30 years. I came over to Millsaps and went back home for a while. Um and it was a very cool place to grow up. It is not the same Austin that people know now. It was very small. It was a college town. It was based at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, my father had an Episcopal church on the campus, and we grew up on the campus. And um, I got a full scholarship to Millsap, so off I came to Jackson. Uh, and I love Jackson. I love my whole family really is from Alabama and Tennessee, so it was nice to sort of come back to the South. Um, and I loved hanging out in Jackson, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you went Millsaps was more or less the reason yes. to uh, dabble in Jackson. Yep. Got a great and, education uh, there. And I went back and worked for some politicians and then went up to D.C. for a while. And then I married a boy from Jackson. And here I am. Yeah. Mr. Alan Lang. See. And uh, Alan, where's Alan from? He's from Jackson. He's third, okay, so fourth he's, generation. He's been around for a while. So he said, we have, you have a choice. We can live in Jackson or we can live in Jackson. Right. Well, we lived in Austin, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and he wanted to hunt all the time. And so all my friends were still here from college, and they were having babies and having a lot of fun. And none of my friends in Austin were doing any of that. So I thought, well, I'll go hang out with them in Jackson for a while and see how that works out. And it's worked out pretty good. Yeah, I would say. Uh, now, you're a twin. I am an identical twin. And my tell sister us about is, your sister. Uh, the twister is Heather. <laughs> and um, Heather and I do exactly the same thing on different sides. She is also an event planner. She does not really raise money, although she's recently become a real estate agent. I can't really explain it. She's, she's just adding to her portfolio. She's making some money. You know, event planners <laughs> don't really make any money. Um, so she decided she needed to make some cash and sell some houses. Um but she's a lot of fun. She is hysterical. She um, shows up in Jackson from time to time, and people kind of confuse us, although you can kind of tell us apart now. Well, it took me a while. A but, bit. Uh, <laughs> I always like it when she's here because it really does throw people off. We like to, if you put us side by side, I'm four inches taller than she is. Ah. Um, so you can kind of tell the difference. But otherwise, no, people are just kind of like, well, you were in a bad mood when I saw you the other day and you didn't say hi. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't me, but it okay. <laughs> Well, that's great. So she's in Austin? She's still in Austin. She, she never left? Never left. Okay. But you did, and you're here. So you do you think of yourself as an event planner and a fundraiser? Is that the well, title? Well, if you consult my LinkedIn page, it says that I'm a professional event planner, community volunteer, and fundraiser. I don't know. Uh, um, that sort of loosely sums up what I do. 
Yes. And you will remember how you and I first started working Indeed, together. Indeed, those two famous words of mine, Jubilee Jam. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about it this morning, and my recollection was uh, somehow there was an electrical panel that you needed to borrow for another <laughs> event. Am I, am I remembering yeah, you, this right? You remember and that, we right? had them all stored right. in a trailer mm-hmm. down on the city property. Oh, oh please let okay. me do it. It's Go, so good. It. It's so good. So I had been, I volunteered for Stewpot and they hired me uh, eventually to run red beans and rice and sort of to organize it. And when I say hired me, they paid my babysitter. Oh. Um, it was not a money making venture. Anywho, um, when we decided to set the stage up and the sub dudes were coming to play that year for red beans and rice. And they said, well, you need an electrical panel. And I said, well, where do you get an electrical panel? And Jim Cowden said, Jubilee Jam has them call Malcolm. And I said, I, I don't know Malcolm, but okay. And so I called you up and I said, hey, Malcolm, you don't know me. This is Holly. Um, I need your electrical panels. And you said, well, you can have them. I'm happy to loan them to you, but they're locked up in a trailer uh, in Pearl. <laughs> and I said, huh. He said, but call them and see what they say. And you just totally set me up for it too, by the way. So I called the guy in Pearl and I said, hey, this is Holly Lang. And he said, well, hey, Holly, this is Alan Felder. Turns out he was the stepbrother of my college roommate. <laughs> And I said, Alan, you have a trailer full of Jubilee GM equipment that I understand we owe Jubilee GM may owe you a little money for that trailer. I need the contents. I don't care if you keep the trailer. I need what's in there. And he said, if you'll pay me X number of dollars, we'll release the trailer. So I called Luther Odd at the time at Stewpot and I said, we can use them. And it's sort of like a fee, a rental fee for them. So can we pay to spring the trailer for Jubilee Jam so we can have the contents? And he said, sure. So, And I remember I had to call you back and I called you back and I said, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. I mean, we did not know each other at all. No, we'd never met. And I said, I'm so, so sorry to bother you, but I, I think I've sprung your trailer. Where do I take it? <laughs> Thanks. And so Jim Cowden ran down there and got, um, so this is really funny. Jim Cowden ran down there and got the electrical panels, <clears throat> uh-huh. and this, I'm going to cannot believe I'm going to tell you the story. And he brought him back to um, what was downtown Jackson, one Jackson place where there's now a huge building. And Entergy was there, and we were wiring the panels, and I'm standing on the street, and I have, at the time, my two young children, my children were very young. They were like one and two, which is how I know how long we've known each other. And my housekeeper called Eddie, and she said, Holly, they cut the power. <laughs> And I said, dang, I forgot to pay the bill. And Energy heard me say that. He said, hold on, we'll take care of you. And he made one phone call and flipped my power back on. And I ran down. And then I learned all about auto pay after that, that when you get a little busy and distracted with work, put things on auto pay. So, yeah, that's how we officially met. And the subdudes played. And it was my sister was here. And it was all very confusing and chaotic and fun and just the normal. Nothing's changed. Now, was that your first event in the Jackson market? Or had you been doing some other no, stuff my very that first, I didn't know about? Um, no, my very, very first gig was when Betsy Bradley hired me to help as just uh, help with Susan Watkins with the Governor's Arts Awards when she was at the Arts Commission. Um, I couldn't find a job. No one at that point, and I guess it was 99, had ever really heard of a professional event planner yeah. in Jackson. That was not that was new, a new idea and a new concept. And most people thought, well, my assistant does that or my wife does that or whatever. Um, so it was kind of hard to break into planning events. So I just kind of volunteered for a bunch. And um, Red, Beans was right, Red Beans and Rice was probably my first real production where I was fully in charge. Right. And then after that, we you came over and started working with us at Jubilee Jam. Then I Jam. completely overcommitted and did Jubilee Jam <laughs> and Red Beans and Rice. And you kind of ro- hooked me into the parade. And uh, um, I did lots of things for a while. 
Yeah, we still do. We still do. Yeah. So, um, Jubilee, what years did we work together in your best recollection? Um, it had to be somewhere around 2004, 5, 6, and 7 because Ford was born in 2000 and Jake was born in 2002. And I was in a meet. The first time I actually met you, we were in a meeting in that old railroad building in downtown Jackson. And um, we met for an hour and a half, and then I had to get to carpool line. And Jake mm-hmm. had just started. He had, he was six months old. And do you remember some of the artists that we presented at, oh, at, for at sure. Jubilee Jail? Who were some of your highlights? Um, well, Shaka Khan will always, I think, by far. Um, oh, who is the woman? Who is the Allison Moore sister? Shelby. Shelby Lang. Shelby Lang. Uh, Shelby Lynn. Lynn, sorry. Shelby Lynn. You're she Lang. was awesome. <laughs> right. I'm Lang. She's Lynn. She was awesome. Um, Keb Mo came, and that was yes. when he had first started. Right. And he ended up, so years later, I helped open the B.B. King Museum, and he came and played. He wanted right. to play with B.B. and be a part of that. And in a slightly stalkerish way, at the end of the night, after in after in Clark, in a Indianola, after we opened the museum, Keb Mo and I were sitting there talking, and I said, "You know, I remember when you first played Jubilee Jam ten or fifteen years ago, and you had on white linen pants and a turquoise linen top." And he kind of looked at me like I was a stalker, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "I don't know why, but you were just cool uh, as the wind sitting up there singing." And with you that still are, sir. <laughs> yeah, he is still real cool. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, there was, it was all a lot of fun. Um, I didn't get into the heavy metal bands, but they were down there at the end of the street, and that was fine. But I just remember rocking out to Shaka Khan a whole lot one yeah. night. That was well, fun. that was a blast. I mean, we, as I tell people, we booked everybody who was working back in those days, except Aretha Franklin, who would not accept our offer. Well, you, you called me, and you said, we, we met, and I think maybe Peyton Prosper was involved somehow. He was, somehow. Um, but anyway, we, we had a meeting, and you said, we've booked... Luther Vandross and Bob Dylan, and I said, "Well, you boys are going out with a bang, aren't you?" <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot of entertainment. Um, and then this is the—you can sort of gauge our entire relationship on technology. Um, I was driving to Austin home. And my mother flew over here, and we were taking Ford and Jake home for a long week. And it was when cell phones were still in boxes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? And they sure. had a cover, and you had yeah. to, and they were attached to the actual bag box. A bag they were phone. called a bag phone. I've had several of those. And somehow I was listening to NPR, driving back and forth, public radio, because, you know, there's no real satellite radio back in those days. And they said, Luther Vandross has just had a stroke. Yep. And I said, what? And I had to pull over, and I called you, and I said, we have just put the billboards up with Luther Vandross's face all over the state of Mississippi. And you said, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And sure enough, in the Clarion Ledger paper the next Sunday, they were like, can you believe that Jubilee GM went ahead and put up Luther Vandross's face after he had a stroke? I'm like, it, Wait a it minute. all happened at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a, a, a big problem for us. We had booked what we thought was probably the best one-two punch in our history with, with Dylan and Luther Vandross. And then. Uh, he has the stroke, and of course that was that. He never performed again, no, and uh, never recovered. We uh, we booked Cassandra Wilson, who at that time was really enjoying an international celebrity, yes. uh, but it was certainly no way that that Cassandra or anyone could have filled Luther Vandross' no. shoes. It, and it no, was he was not, super special. We didn't have a lot of time either. It was, that we, was a tough year. We had like. <clears throat> two or three weeks. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And did Teddy Pendergrass come? Is that who we no, got to? No, we, we, we tried, but we we weren't able to get him. Oh, well. Uh, but on the Bob Dylan front, I love to tell the story about Dylan because he's a very peculiar individual. And backstage, we were instructed by his <laughs> tour manager that if anybody looked at Bob Dylan in the eyes, Don't make he a move. would leave the right. site. No one move. <laughs> Don't look. 
<laughs> well, do you, and do you remember what happened? Do you remember this part? Go ahead. I don't know. I'm so, not sure what you're going to tell. Um, we were all backstage, and we've been told this. Don't move in any circus. So we're nobody, everyone stops breathing. We're all in headsets. <laughs> we're like, okay, everybody freeze. He's coming out of his trailer. <laughs> so he opens the door, and out he comes. And he walks down about two steps. <clears throat> and at that exact same time, the swing gate from the site opens. And... In walks my aforementioned twin sister and her partner, and she's got the same Jubilee GM shirt on that I had, the purple one, with the same cap and her little all-access badge, because, you know, perk. And they thought it was me, so they just let her on in. So he's walking out. She's walking in, just chatting and laughing. And we're all like, stop Don't. talking. Don't. Stop moving. And behind him came out the Sexton brothers. Will and Charlie yep. Sexton were yep. playing guitar were playing with him. With him. Right. And we grew up with them. And he looked over. One of them looked over and said, oh, hey, it's a Powell twin. <laughs> and with that, Bob Dylan starts laughing. And then I had gone to get um, Charlie Evers, Charles Evers, uh-huh. and brought him backstage to meet yeah. Bob Dylan. But I was, He wanted to meet Charles Evers. He did. So and so the whole, list. it's like everybody just took a collective sigh of relief and everybody laughed and it was a very warm moment but it was in, within about a two minute window we all went from oh my god to woo this is the greatest day ever <laughs> and and the quote from his tour manager was the boss is in a good mood tonight right he really wants to get out there and meet and greet yeah and he came out with a hoodie on he did smoking a cigarette I and a cigarette. he just blended in with the crowd yeah and, and with a few exceptions nobody even paid any attention to him being back and there. it was a great show it was a great show remember we had to take the scram down oh because he rain. wanted well we had the on on stage vip and his tour manager said these people can't be on stage right. and we're like oh yeah they can this is how we they paid their 25 pay for the festival <laughs> so he put up this scrim this curtain and we had to have a big argument and a fight about that, but ultimately we brought it down and everybody had a, a, a great time. Yeah. All right. Big night. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I am both the executive director of your Mississippi Arts Commission and today's host for the Arts Hour. Welcome, and I hope you're enjoying your Sunday afternoon. We are having a blast up in here at the <laughs> MPB Thinks. Think Radio Studios with Kevin Farrell and my very special guest, Holly Lang. Welcome back, Holly. Thank you, Malcolm. In the break, we talked a lot about Austin. We talked about barbecue. We talked about good music. and uh, But now we're going to talk about the Mississippi Book Festival. Happy to talk about the Book Festival. This was the fourth year. It was. And how, <clears throat> as the uh, <clears throat> founder, co-founder, and producer, and executive director, uh, where do you? How do you feel like? How do you feel about where you are in your fourth year? Um, I think this year was pretty darn successful, all things considered. Um, you know, it's just like asking somebody who's just had a baby if they're ready to have another baby. I'm a little tired, mm-hmm. um, and I don't, I don't ever personally relish in the success. I think it was very successful for the state of Mississippi. I think all of our panelists were very happy. I think everybody who participated as an exhibitor. Um, and who sold stuff, whether it was food or books or art or their whatever, um, they were all very happy. I think participants were happy. I think we got lucky with the weather, um, and I think we had record numbers. And it's so funny to me that we say we have record numbers. We're, we always hope we have record numbers. We hope every year more people show up. At some point, I suppose the crowds could level off, but for now, we intend for it to grow. Um, and I think people finally really understand. I think this is the first year that the general public really understands what the book festival is. Hmm. That's interesting. So let's let's take it back to um, 
how it began. In in your recollection, tell me what you remember about why we have a book festival. Who was involved? How did it evolve? Who wh- who did what? And how did we get this thing up and running? Because it from the uh, Consumer per perspective, it looks like it's an overnight success. But I know because oh, yeah. I have lived inside of many, many events and festivals, there's no such thing that there is an awful lot that goes on before the <clears throat> public ever sees it, right. before they ever embrace it, and yeah. long before they start bragging about it, which is probably where we are now. Sure. I have a five-year-old is what I have. Every To everyone, it's brand <laughs> shiny and new, and I have a five-year-old. Um, you know... I, it's hard to say. I think probably a lot of people have talked about wanting to have a book festival in the state mm-hmm. of Mississippi for decades. Um, we're not the first people to talk about it. We're kind of the first people to, to do it. And I, as I recall, I said, you and I had lunch in one of our frequent lunches, and you said, you know, they're kind of stirring the pot on the book festival idea again. And I said, well, I'd love to do it. I had just wrapped up a big job, um, and I didn't have too much on my horizon, and I thought— you know, maybe now's the time to do it. And you said, well, you know, if you're interested, call Jerry Nash um, and talk to him. He's kind of organized a group, and they've you the, you gave them a grant um, mm-hmm. at the time to go bring in other book festivals, executive directors and organizers, to talk about what was involved. Because they had no—this this little core group of people had no idea what was involved in putting a festival on and organizing it. So by the time I got to Jerry, um, they had already visited with his first group. Um, they they had an idea. I didn't have to tell them what it was involved, but I knew what was involved. Um, and I had was a volunteer at the very first Texas Book Festival. Mary Margaret Farabee started it with Laura Bush and her daughter and I are childhood best friends. Um, and so I saw the format and I saw the way it unfolded in Texas. Um, and I thought, this is a really cool thing. In Mississippi, you know, in my, when I was at Millsaps, I was in Eudora Welty's last class at Millsaps. Suzanne Mars walked her in, and from she was about 25 feet from me, and I thought, well, there is Eudora Welty. Um, and I'd seen her probably in the grocery store and around, but I didn't really know her. And to see her in that context, I thought, you know, she is this petite, delicate Southern woman who is with such a powerful voice and who can write. Um, and I had that, well, I'll fast forward, I'll save that, set that aside. So I thought, you know, well, okay, let's start planning it. But we had to raise the money for it. I mean, and I learned this from Jubilee Jam, don't spend money. You don't. You, we can't commit to doing, to funding anything when we don't have the money on the front end. Right. Uh, and that's a very painful lesson. I think people wonder why things fail sometimes, and they want to blame a person. Um, and really, ultimately, once the money runs out, you can't. I mean, you you and I put you put way more than I did financially at risk in the festival and Jubilee Jam. Um, but you have to be able to pay for it in order to do it well because. Like we, you and I have talked about frequently, unless you love something and are fully in, and fully in it and, and present in it, it won't be successful and you won't feel successful. So I was very adamant that – and we went up to the wire. We had set the date based on other book festivals and when authors were on the road. And we set August. And in April, we still had not raised enough money to really do it the way I wanted to do it. Um, and, you know, Oxford has the conference on the book. That's fine. It's a very small sort of academic conference. Um, and they do their own thing, and, and that's a very successful format. There's not a lot of overhead for them there. Mm-hmm. Um, to do what to do what I wanted to do and the committee, the way that I thought the committee would be pleased and considered a success was going to take a lot of cash, and I was not going to put us in a situation where we were screaming on the other and asking people for money to help us cover the funds that we'd already committed to. So um, it was very stressful getting money out of the legislature, as mm-hmm. you know, um, but they actually gave it to us. Tate Reeves did come through with us. 
come, come through with some cash um, through the archives and history budget. Um, and everybody's real supportive and everybody loved the idea. So um, we finally just said, okay, we're going to do it. And then I said, well, you know, other conferences sort of exist doing the same thing. If we're going to do this, we need some star power and we need some, we need some big names. And, I, and John Evans looked at me and said, well, who do we need? And I said, well, we need John Grisham. Uh, and he said, well, let's just ask him. And I said, okay. So I said, we need Ellen Gilchrist. Um, and we need so-and-so and Rick Bragg and all these other, and Julia Reed and um, Jasmine Ward and all these people that we thought were out there. And so we reached out to John Grisham, and after a while, he circled back and said yes. I texted, uh, it turns out that Ellen Gilchrist's niece babysat for me. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time that she was Ellen's um, niece. And when I, after the first night she babysat, she said, you know, I'm Ellen's niece. She saw all of Ellen's books on my shelf. And I was speechless. And Alan even said, I don't think I've ever seen her completely unable to talk. And I'm like, what? So I texted um, Whitney and said, do you think Ellen would come? She said, give me five minutes. And she called me in five minutes and said, sure, she'll come. So we, we kind of had our star power lined up. We had a flow in mind. Um, we'd already asked Angie Thomas. We did not see her star exploding at that point. We just thought, right. you know, she's got a great book. Um, so it really, it really worked out very nicely um, to be successful in August. Um, I, I thought maybe 1,500 people, 2,000 people would come. We exceeded that number. I think it set the tone really well um, to allow us to build on it every year and add people to it and make it bigger and bigger. And I think this year it, we finally just sort of, um, sort of came alive, as it were. Are there uh, big names on a list somewhere uh, that you haven't been able to get to come yet? Or um, are you already starting to circle around? You know, there are some people we ask every single year, and every single year they tell us no for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Some people just, well, we run into a whole lot of co conflict. Um, some people are on a Speakers Bureau contract, and they cannot accept public speaking um, engagements without getting paid. And we're not paying a, for people to come. and We're not paying somebody $25,000 to come speak at the book festival. Right. Um, some people don't want to come to the heat. I mean, I've asked Calvin Trillin twice now. He's way up in northern Maine. Um, I think he'd be great, but he's like, I'm in northern Maine. I'm not coming down there in August. He comes to Greenville for the Hot Tamale Festival. Okay. In I didn't October. know it was a weather issue. Yeah, it's a weather issue. Uh, but that's his vacation time, <laughs> yeah, and I can't sure. force him down here. No. Um, you know, Greg Isles was going to come um, two years ago, and he was in the midst of editing his trilogy, so he couldn't make it. So, you know, people... So Greg has not yet come. Oh, no, he's come twice. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but um, one time he said, in the intermittent years, he said no, um, because he was um, editing his trilogy. And we really asked him again. We said, we know you don't have a book. We, you have a book on the horizon, but you don't have a current book. But he commands really big crowds, and people love to see him. And I said, do you want to come and just have a conversation? Yeah. And he said, yeah, no, I have to edit a book. I'm sorry, I got it right. Busy. And I said, okay. Busy but he was cool about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a secret list of people who I keep wanting to come, uh, and I'm going to keep pushing on that until sure. they say yes or die. I don't really know how that's going to work out. <laughs> so uh, for the consumer and the public, uh, I would like for you to share sort of the uh, strategy about who gets invited and, and who, doesn't, who doesn't. And I know th this dictates the panels and the writers, and it has something to do with whether or not they had a book that year, right? Our general rule of thumb is that a, an author has to have a book published within the calendar year of the festival. So they can come out two months before. It could be, we, you know, and we sell books there. So an author who has a book coming out in October 
we would love to have him come on him or her come on the panel, but they're not going to be able to sell any books. And that's kind of, you know, they their publishers want them to sell books while they're there. So we would probably table that, table them until the following year when their book is still out. Um, there's a committee that exists who sort of discern, you know, let's talk, let's, we need a fiction panel and we want to talk about Southern fiction and who's got a hot book right now. And, you know, last year, Michael Ferris Smith was at the top of the list because he had just released um, the, the fighter. fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a couple of other things, which, you know, so then you say, okay, Michael Ferris Smith, that's good. Well, who else has a book that's sort of in the same genre and who's out there and who can we get? And the panel sort of builds itself. And then we start asking. Um, so if Michael Ferris Smith had said, no, I'm going to be in Europe on a book promotion tour, then we have to think, do we shift the panel? Do we still do the panel? Do we find somebody else to sub in? Um, but it is, we spend about 10 months trying to put all that together. And we don't, I mean, we ask on our website, there is a link that says if you if you have a book or know of a book you want us to consider, it really is the book, not necessarily the author. Right. Um, <clears throat> if there's somebody you want us to consider, click here and submit it. And we get it. And I'm telling you, we have probably gotten five or six panelists just that way. Um, the tricky part, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to tell anybody no. We provide Author's Alley. Um, that's a 300-foot long tent where people who have books that aren't published in the same calendar year but who want to sell their books can come and um, sign books, meet their fans, and do all that. And um, they're no less important than an official panelist. They are equally important to the festival. We're promoting books in any shape, form, or capacity, so we're happy to have those people there. Um Headliners, you know, I like to. I got a little offended one year because someone, some, we did ask someone who was a nationally acclaimed fiction author, and his publicist said, "Well, he's a headliner." And I said, "Well, ma'am, we don't really have headliners. <laughs> Everybody's equally important. I mean, I can't. Jasmine Ward is just as important to me as Julia Reed is. Um, Salman Rushdie was just as important to me as John Meacham was. Um, they all, they, they're all a draw. They all bring different people to the festival, and that's what we want." Yeah. And and you've experimented with expansion and contraction, as all festivals do. It seems to me this year that you, you sort of said, we're going to quit trying to have a lot of live music, but we're going to have a little right. bit over here rather than a big stage, big PA, big production and and, and volume. So you just had a little... Well, we're a book festival, set up over here. right? And it's the same. It's the same band as Bob Davidson and yeah. his guys. Um, <clears throat> but you know, we thought a stage would be entertaining, and that would people when people were between panels, they would come and eat their lunch and dance to some music and listen and have some fun. Uh, but we're a book festival; we're not a music festival. Mm-hmm. So we talked to Bob, and he said, "I really want to participate. I, I love the festival." And I said, "Well, can we unplug you? Can we stick you in the middle of the festival and unplug you?" And he said, "Sure, that'd be great." And I think it worked. I mean, there was just yeah. enough sort of ambient noise. Um, and they were really entertaining. And every time I walked by them, uh, there were kids dancing in front of them, and uh, they were letting kids play their instruments. So it was a fun, fun experiment. And with the children's activities, you've moved that around. I guess you've experimented with a number of things. Where where are you on that? You know, the only thing we like to say that, that remains the same is that we will always be the state capital. Otherwise, the whole thing can change on a dime. Um, Quinvangene Wallace fell into our lap about two months ago, and we made her the star of the children's programming tent. And our friend Allie Dinkins was her sort of mistress of ceremonies for the day. Um, that was not planned. We had zero plans for the children's pro- programming before that. Um, for two, three years running, the Children's Museum, Mississippi Children's Museum, provided different types of um, exhibits and interactive exhibits for kids and staff that came along with that. And they really wanted to do a literacy panel and talk about um, their efforts in promoting reading. So, um, you know, who knows what the children's programming tent will look like next year. 
Um, we had full crowds. I mean, I think at every single she Quivangene offered three sessions. Um, there were between thirty and seventy-five kids there every single time, and then she actually added on a bonus one. So who knows what we'll do next year? But it's important to us that we present reading and and books in a fun environment for kids to engage. Welcome back to the third and final segment of this edition of the Mississippi Arts Hour. Brought to you as a partnership between the Mississippi Arts Commission and Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. I'm in the studio with Kevin Farrell and my special guest today, Holly Lang. Welcome your back. special guest. <laughs> You're my special guest. I am your special guest. It's right. an honor to be here. Great. So we were digging deeply into uh, the book festival, and I had a few little things I wanted to ask you, but also I would love to share some of the data and sure. from this past year, which was uh, fairly impressive. Uh, but one of the things that I was really struck by and thought was really cool uh, is that it kicked off on the Mississippi Gulf Coast the Thursday before yeah. the weekend, and that was new. And the reason well, there were a couple of reasons why I really liked it. One is that it involved past books, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the home away from home for Jasmine Ward, mm-hmm. who's was one of the headliners, not superstars. the headliners, one of the superstars at the festival this year. But also because it involved children and schools. And one of the schools that this caravan touched on between the Mississippi Gulf Coast and Hattiesburg en route to Jackson for the festival was the school, my elementary school, Perkinston Elementary School Mm -hmm. was on the list. And I have, you know, I have very fond memories of growing up, going to school there, and I've done a lot of work in my professional life uh, at Perkinston with the community college, Gulf Coast Community College, uh, creating a, an art building on campus that is connected by an art trail to the elementary school. Very nice. So anyway, tell me uh, a, a bit about that, how that came to be and how special that was. So we're the Mississippi Book Festival. We're not the Jackson Book Festival. We're not the Hines County Book Festival. We're not the Metro Area Book Festival. But we, And so one of the goals all along has to sort of create the statewide presence to do so the book festival will have a, a reach across the state. And the second year we did the book festival – Kate DiCamillo did it. We did. We invited fifteen hundred JPS students to Galloway on Friday before the festival because outreach is really one of our goals. Um, in addition to putting on this great festival, so um, and it's some conversation between Claire Martin at Oz Books and our programming committee. We said, "Would it be great if we could raise enough money to give each of those kids a book?" And we did. Um, and. St- we gave away all the books, and Kate didn't know we were going to do it, and the kids didn't know we were going to do it. And I thought, well, that's super special. So the next year we did it again um, with, with two different groups. We had Kate. We had Angie, um, Angie Thomas. Which I got to introduce, which you was a real special her, event. And it was very special. And um, Meg Cabot, who has the Princess Diaries. Right. And so I hope those kids still have the books we gave because those were signed first editions of Angie Thomas's book. So, hey, JPS, if you're listening, <laughs> save that book. Round them it's up. It's worth something. <laughs> um, anywho, so we said, well, how do we do this across the state? How do we get to elementary and junior high kids across the state? And um, Scott Noggle, who is on our board and owns past books and is Jasmine's very good friend, um, and Margaret McMullen, who um, is an author in her own right and a wonderful human being, um, they're both just really lovely people, said – We'll help sponsor it. 
we'll give you a little, we'll give you some money if y'all will come to the coast and reach kids. And we said, okay, what does that look like? And so when we sort of identified our children's authors, we asked them immediately and said, would you be willing to go to the coast on Thursday and Friday before the book festival and sort of make your way to Jackson via elementary and junior high? And they, every one of them, with the exception of one who simply could not get her airline ticket to work out, said, sure, we would love to do that. So we had a kickoff party at Past Books. Um, and Margaret McMillan, being Margaret McMillan, ended up cooking dinner for everybody afterwards. Uh, and then Friday morning, they we worked with the public schools, and um, we put three or four authors in those schools. And I think they reached 1,000 kids in about five hours, and then made it up to Jackson in time for the kickoff party here and then the participation in the book festival on Saturday. So our goal is to do that in every corner of Mississippi, um, that we go to Tupelo and do it. Um, this is geography test. I'm going to fail it miserably, but um, <laughs> I can help you. you can probably help. Yes, you've driven many the, many of those roads. All if, roads. Every time, three or four times. Um, so next year, you know, we'll probably continue a coast effort, um, and then we'll probably head up to Tupelo and see what we can do there. Um, and but that is our goal: is to have sort of a continuous statewide reach. There was wasn't there some connection with Ellen Ruffin and the DeGrumman and the Children's Book Festival in Hattiesburg? Well, so. We're all connected to me. It's like cousins. She's on the board. Um, Ellen's on our board, yeah. and so she helped coordinate that effort for us. The DeGrumman collection came uh, two or two years ago, and the second year, um, it was Curious George's anniversary. Oh, yeah. And yeah, my yeah, child, yeah. the reason I know this is because my child wore the Curious George costume and sweated bullets. We were really worried <laughs> he was going to pass out. Um, but Ellen brought with her all of these beautiful um, manuscripts uh, from original Curious George, and we put them in the rotunda. Um, so this year, um, she brought the Madeline Lingle collection from the DeGrumman collection. That was a whole lot of French real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then helped sort of get these kids in schools. And Ellen is just real tied into the children's world and, and, and public libraries and elementary reading programs and all that. So she whipped that magic up real fast. Okay, so that was kind of a new uh component this year. Were there other new components? Well, we did introduce the Writer's Trail. You might. Well, we did introduce the Writer's Trail. So every year the kickoff looks different. Last year we um, kicked it off with the Librarian of Congress. Uh, The first year we did it with John Grisham. So who knows what it's going to look like. So you and I had one of our little lunches and talked about um, the Mississippi Writer's Trail and how that was going to come to fruition and how we could launch it. And so you very graciously said, let's launch it at the book festival. And we said, great, make me some fake uh, markers and we'll, we'll put them on display and we'll unveil them. Um, and we, you and I went back and forth on who, who we could do, who would be unveiled. Um, and I believe you asked everybody. Um, and some said yes and some said no and some said maybe. Um, and Mary Alice White was going to represent the wealthy, Eudora Wealthy, and Jasmine Ward, of course, represented herself. And so I emailed the aforementioned Scott Noggle and said, would you ask Jasmine if she's willing to make remarks? Because I, you know, I don't want to over-ask people. Once they say yes to the book festival, I'm just really happy to have them there. But then we start piling on and say, well, will you, like with Angie Thomas, will you do this, 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 and that? Um, And Jasmine said she would love to make remarks. And fortunately for all of us, C-SPAN recorded those remarks. And we have also asked her to uh, provide those written remarks as historical record with archives and history. Because I think what she said um, was moving. You were there, of course. You had a front row seat Mm -hmm. for it, bird's eye view. Um, and I think it was inspiring for so many of our future writers. Um, and, and I think that that was um, a really special moment. So who knows what the opening will look like next year. I get real nervous with the weather. You know, I think I have this little I have a little dream scenario for what I want the fifth anniversary to look like and who I think mm. should come and participate. But it's outdoors. 
And, you know, we haven't had a hurricane in a while. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous about uh, committing to outside, but we'll see. Great. Uh, so the date for next year is uh, the, 17th the 17th of August 2020. 2019. I'm sorry. I tried to pass you right through that year. Mm-hmm. We'll be at the Mississippi State Capitol. No it will doubt. Be. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the the numbers and all of the sort of sure. uh, highlights and achievements from this past so, year? So off the air, I was laughing sort of tongue-in-cheek because every year we say we set record numbers. Well, if we fall flat, we have certainly failed. Uh, the first year we had um, north of 2,500. Last year we exceeded about 6,400. And this year we exceeded 7,600. Those are actual chairs that we count. And I know that some people don't necessarily get up out of their chair and leave, but that means we count every single session with the chairs in them. So the 7,600 is the number of physical people who were in a chair. That doesn't take into consideration um, people who stood around the room, uh, which were there many, most rooms had standing room only. Oh, every room room I was in, they were standing Uh, room. There is not one panel that has very few people in it. I mean, they're all standing room only. Uh, That also doesn't take into account the 2,000 school children we reached on Friday. So... In my mind, I think we can say the book festival reaches 10,000 people in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, those are pretty good numbers. Uh, we, 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 our format will probably continue to stay the same with 42 panels, about 160-plus authors, official panelists. Um, we, we do that really well, and I don't want to rock the boat on that. Um, now that everybody sort of gets it, they're like, oh, come, come to me, and we'll have a panel here, and we'll do this. You know, we want to do this. It's real important that we manage what we have and do it successfully. Yeah. And I don't want to overextend ourselves so we're, we've sort of lost control. This is very much a volunteer-driven organization, uh, and we are heavily relying upon volunteers to help us. And if we extend our reach and they can't help us, we're going to be in a pickle. Talk a little bit about the volunteers, the board, the number of people it takes, who who pitches in, where do you get your people, sure. how do you volunteer? So you just send us an email. It's real easy. Click see, click here on our website to volunteer. Um, we have a volunteer board of probably 28, 32 members. Um, they represent all across the state in all different areas. We have academic, we have cultural, we have um publisher people, we just have community volunteers who just think that this is a good idea. We have uh, the Mississippi Library Commission is represented, Humanities Council is represented, your, of course, Arts Commission is represented, MPB is represented, because um, everybody can add to the conversation. That's the way I look at it. And that's exactly how I view it. Everybody contributes to the conversation, and then it's my job as executive director to take the pieces of that conversation and make sense of them um, and see how they fit. And then I have a staff of um, two and a half people. It's kind of seasonal there at the mm-hmm. end. We kind of pick up a couple more people who can help us out. Um, we start putting the call out for volunteers. And we don't really use too many volunteers. Um, there's some high school service hours we contrib- we get um, in schools across the state for people who can come help us. We love, um, like when the baseball team or the football team shows up to help us lift boxes and do stuff like that. But on the actual, the three days leading up to the event, we probably have... On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, between 30 and 90 volunteers in motion uh, throughout the day. And then on Saturday, we have about 225 volunteers in various capacities. Didn't I see some AmeriCorps or Teach for America people? We love those AmeriCorps volunteers. AmeriCorps. It's AmeriCorps. And okay. they, they were there last year. We had about 60 of them. They were back this year. They are great. They are organized. They are focused. Um, 
their leadership is very communicative with us. So we we plan exactly what they are going to do and where they're going to do it. They will carry bottles. They will carry boxes. Um, they help staff things. They help us break it down at the end. Nobody wants to stick around and clean up. Um, and they will help us do that. But then we also have other volunteers. We have lots of elderly volunteers mm-hmm. who, my mother, for example, I can, I guess I should, sorry, mom, I didn't mean to call you elderly. Um, she's <laughs> in charge of the, she will get me later. She's in charge <laughs> of the official panelist lounge because there are very few people that won't get starstruck. So I can trust my mother to run that and feed our panelists and make them happy. Um, and they're also room monitors, they're air conditioning jobs, there are lots of different things. So we have a job for everyone. And you get a super cool t-shirt, which sell out. We don't understand why. The next year we have leftover volunteer t-shirts and we sell them and people love them. And I noticed what looked to me like an increased number of uh, uh, booths mm-hmm. from other independent bookstores other than the Mighty and, and Glorious and our favorite Lemuria, right. who kind of have the huge presence and footprint. I saw University Press was set up. Dogwood. L'Oreal. L'Oreal. Lorley And Dogwood was there. Yeah. Um, you know, the the success, well, so a couple of things. We have what we now call the Community Lawn, which are or nonprofit organizations and other groups sort of spread out. And we, we average between 25 and 35 in that group. Um, and they're there just to promote their own cause uh, and share information. On the street, we have about, this year we had about 85 independent um, public, uh, self-published authors. Self-published, yeah. Um, and and what do you call books. that? It has a name. Author's Alley. Author's Alley. And right. I know that I, everybody I talk to either sold out of a book or sold enough books to make them happy. And then on the opposite side, we have our booksellers. And um, I think we had 8 to 10 this year. You have to, in order to sell anything on state property, you have to be on the street. We can't mm-hmm. money can't exchange hands right. at state capital. So the reason we use we partner with John Evans because he's local and his stuff is here. We have talked to other bookstores um, in varying. In, we have seven independent bookstores, I think, in the state of Mississippi, and we love them all. And we they rep, they are on our board. They are on our advisor committee. They help us select authors. They don't want to bring their inventory to Jackson. That is an expensive and uh, manual labor um, effort for them. Right. So John. Um, provides the books for the official panelists and then we have food trucks we have and our food trucks never believe us we're like ten thousand people dudes and they're like <laughs> no <laughs> no they're not gonna be that many and sure enough inevitably the popsicles are sold out within two hours and you know whole foods was there this year and they had brought a folding table we just sort of stood back and laughed and we're saying okay the hot dog guy is the only guy that believes us there's yeah. always going to be a hot dog for you at the book festival so any hints for uh, teasers for next year um, just well, fifth anniversary sounds like a big deal. So we, yeah, I think we're just going to go with that. Yeah. We have a couple of, um, we're trying to, to continue our state reach, I mean, our statewide effort and sort of have a year-round programming. Um, we have a couple of little things brewing that we're going to announce in the fall. Um, we've got merchandise that we're going to finally get together and start selling stuff online. So people, if they don't get their T-shirt at the festival, they can Good do tomorrow. it there. Um, but I think you're just going to have to stick around until about January to find out who commits to next year. And I plan to do just that. Stick and around. I'll be there. I appreciate and, it. And uh, thanks for coming in, talking to us. Holly Lang, our guest today, the executive director of the Mississippi Book Festival, just completed its fourth year, and we're looking toward the fifth year on August the 17th. 2019 at your state capitol. We will see you there. Thanks, Kevin. It's been another great Arts Hour. We will see you all next Sunday.